Hello and welcome to Radio DePaul, Chicago's College Connection. And this is Apology. My name's Jeffrey. And uh, my fun fact of the week is I began playing this new um, horror game called Paranormal Site. It's pretty spooky so far. Looking forward to finishing it, hopefully. My name is Misha, and my fun fact is that last night at like 2 a.m., I cleaned out both of my fountain pens and refilled them, and now they're flowing really beautifully, and I'm trying to not buy more ink. Mm. How much, like, so, like, I don't really know much about fountain pens. How much ink usually comes with them? Is it, like, a lot? Um, ink lasts a really long time. Like, your average ballpoint, like, pen mm. lasts a really long time, right? So when you buy ink that can refill your pen, like, I don't know, even 10 times, that's a lot of... Mm, the more you know. But, <laughs> like, I was scrolling through, like, this one stationary website, and they had this, like, oxblood red. It was so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, anyways. <laughs> so, yeah, this week we're going to be talking about taxidermy. So this should be a fun episode for anyone who's interested in that in the art form. Although, there are some people who it may not be for. So we're not going to be going into big detail but if you're like someone who's like overly sensitive to animals, this might we're like we're not talking about like animal death in detail really, but the implication is there a bit. So like if that makes you like uncomfortable, you may want to skip on this episode. But I think you'll be fine. But if you know you're sensitive, it yeah. might be good to skip it. This episode's a little bit on the lighter end, especially compared to some of our other stuff. Yeah, this is a much more lighter episode, which is nice. So, um, first, we're gonna we, I'm gonna go over a quick history of the art of taxidermy. So, the Museum of Idaho, and um, for this section, I use the Museum of Idaho and Bones, which is like um, they were on like a blog all about taxidermy. It's like a bunch of taxidermists who are on this blog. It was pretty interesting. So, the word taxidermy comes from the Greek word taxis, meaning arrangement, and derma, meaning skin, which I think we all know because of dermatology. The term basically translates to skin art. Which is kind of funny, because when I think of skin art, I think of tattooing. Oh, really? Like, you know, skin art. Like, that's the first thing I would think of. Oh. Or maybe maybe it would be ink art, but, like, I would think of tattoo. Or maybe even body, like, body modification. Maybe just not automatically, uh... Personally, I think of... I think her name's Catherine on Doctor Who. The, like, moisture. Oh. <laughs> skin art. Okay, yeah. <laughs> the, term da- uh, the term taxidermy was first coined by... I'm probably going to butcher this last name. Louis Dufresne, who worked at the museum. Dufresne. It's French, so I don't know. I don't know French. Yeah, yeah. At the Museum (laughs) National de Histoire Naturelle in Paris in the year of 1803. A taxidermy is... So, this is what this definition states. I'm going to tell you that not everyone agrees with this definition. So, this definition is a taxidermy is a full replica of an animal like it appears while it is living. They say it differs from a trophy, which is usually just an animal head mounted on the wall. I kind of disagree because you could say a mount can be considered a taxidermy, but there's people who think taxidermy is not to be like, because like the early forms of taxidermy were not to be displayed. It was more like burying it with the pharaohs, the pets. But like nowadays people, there's like, there's like the divide between ethical taxidermist and kind of like the more mainstream taxidermist, which we're going to get into later. So there's, like, this thing where, like, the old taxidermy did include trophies. But, like, mm. newer taxidermists don't, re- like, the more ethical ones don't really consider it. So it kind of falls on where you align on that spectrum, I would say. What do you, do you have any opinions on that, Misha? 
Do you think? Do you think? Do you think trophies should be counted? I think it's still animal skin. Yeah. Counted over stuff like. I agree. I'm not sure. I'm not saying I like it. I'm just saying like it would to me it fits in the definition. Maybe not like the part I like, but I feel like it does fit there. Well, like if somebody asked you like how you made that like deer head mount or whatever, you would say it was taxidermied. Yeah, and I know like a lot of people. There's no other verb for it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. However, the first taxidermists, according to history, come from ancient Egypt. The earliest forms of animal preservation, they practiced using injections, spices, oils, and the history traces as early as 2200 BC, where the pharaoh's pets ranging from dogs, cats, monkeys, were being uh, preserved and buried in the tombs. So, like, they were not put on display. It was, like, like an ancient rite to, like, not for the public. One of their biggest taxidermist uh, taxiderma specimen was they managed to preserve a hippopotamus. So that's very interesting. However, the Egyptians um, did not do taxidermy for uh, like for like the anatomy to be correct or art reasons. It was so like their taxidermy looks completely different from today. It looks very uncanny. Like today they try to make it look more realistic. Like imagine mm-hmm. like when you think of like the Madame Tussauds, like the like the uh, like human wax. Like, they're trying to do that with skin. Yeah. Like, the Field Museum. That's true, yeah. You can definitely see, like, a range of quality. Yeah. I I agree. Um, The early preservation of animal hides is both popular in both European and Native American societies. The skins and hides are used for many purposes, such as clothing and bedding. Early societies also use them for cultural and religious purposes. During the Dark Ages, the popularity of taxidermy faded. It was not until the 1400s that there was a renewed interest in the art. This was during the Renaissance and the Scientific Revolution, which lasted to the 1600s. This period began with people using hides and skins, but also to create lifelike representations of animals. And even museums began presenting taxidermy of wild animals, which we kind of kind of just mentioned. The Field Museum was like that probably be an example of someone who displays them in the modern times. Yeah. And the earliest known mount, which is like the basically a head kind of like the trophies that we were talking about yeah or like over a mannequin like the skin yeah that is known today is a crocodile that hangs from the ceiling of a cathedral in italy i kind of want to go there that's a sentence (laughs) we we Uh, should go there like one different international trip one day (laughs) mm, with death or apologies budget (laughs) oh but the earliest known date of the mount comes from a document that references it in 1534. So we know it's at least that old, if not older, but that's not like confirmed. Uh, most early mounts came from animals with thicker skin because they are hardier, easier to work with, harder to mess up, and tended to last longer. Yeah, I think that they used other animals. I just think we don't have those today because I think they probably decomposed really quickly compared to like the hardier skin. Yeah, so it might have been botched. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the 1600s, taxidermists in the Netherlands began the first attempts to mount birds. Yeah, which I think that would be kind of hard because, you know, they're trying to do the wingspans too, like those like weirder positions, probably mm-hmm. compared to like primates that are similar to us. Feathers attach differently than fur too, right? Yeah, yeah. That would, like, they probably have to like glue, like use some type of glue or adhesive to like, the whole thing. There's a little store in my hometown that, like, occasionally has taxidermied stuff, and I don't really know how they do it. 
Yeah, I don't know how people taxidermy insects because that's all popular on Etsy, like the butterflies. Because like mm. to me, like their body parts would be so fragile. Yeah, I have no idea how people do that, but in a quote from the Bones article, it says that early taxidermists, the skins and hides were removed from the animals, the flesh was removed from the skeletons, then the animals were stuffed with cotton, sawdust, paper, or other types of materials, and the skin or hide was stitched back up around this frame. However, as you can imagine, the results were less than perfect. In some cases, the animals could, or the animals no longer looked natural. Some early taxidermists also were challenged with recreating lifelike representations when they had never seen the wild animal alive before. And this led to some errors in judgment. Uh, some of the animals were more cartoonish than realistic when completed. Uh, yet the people at the time had no real idea. They just assumed that the recreation was accurate. Yeah, if you look at ancient art, a lot of the animals don't look right because they're going off of botched taxidermists. So, like, if you look like what Europeans thought of African animals, if you look at the art, it's so bad. But like, they're going off of these like these um, taxidermist mannequins or like these like these descriptions from people who like usually only got a glimpse of the animal. So it's like. It's like, you know, like when someone, tr- I'm not trying to compare this exactly, like, you know, when people do the suspect art and like, it does not look anything like the person like later mm. on, like that can happen. Cause if you only have a second to look at someone, it's like, you're only going to remember like two things accurately and then everything else you kind of fill in tr- cause you don't want to like, right. You w- yeah. So, um, any more modern taxidermists use mannequins and they use it to sculpt different positions and use them to stretch and sew the animal skins around them. I've, like, weirdly enough, like, it came up on my, like, YouTube recommendations to watch one of those videos, and I did. It, it, it was interesting, because she's like, hey, here's this website where you can just order the the stands. And mm. I was so tempted, but it's really expensive. Anyways, uh... <laughs> To keep insects off of the animal skins, arsenic was used from the late 1700s to the early 20th century before being replaced by a less dangerous and toxic chemical known as borax, like laundry detergent. One of the biggest contributions to modern taxidermy comes from the British Museum in the 1700s. By the late 1700s, the museum had collected the world's largest collection of preserved animals, animal skins, and skeletons. Taxidermy became popular, so I would say its peak popularity, like it actually like gained a lot of momentum to everyday people, was I would say during the Victorian era. This is popular among scientists and the public as a way to see foreign species they had never seen before. So if you think about it, like, a lot of zoos, like, weren't really a thing back then. Like, zoos came later. So, like, taxidermy was, like, a placeholder for zoos, I would say, in museums. And the stuffing of pet pets began during this era. And also the um, art, so, like, a form of taxidermy art known as anthropomorphic taxidermy, which is when specimens were clothed or put in positions as if they were doing human activities became common. Oh, oh, my God. Have you ever seen the taxidermied rats on Etsy? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I think I've shown them to you, actually. You have. You have, actually. Oh, no. Anyways. 
So, Samick in 2016 wrote that the Victorian era also had an obsession with death that helped spread the popularity of taxidermy, as when Memento Mori was, like, really big, like, death art. So, um, even the Queen Victoria herself had a collection of stuffed birds, which is just lovely. Um, taxidermy began to evolve from renewed interest with new taxidermist methods being used and working with anthropologists and animal experts to determine how species looked. So it's like, I think um, what they were talking about was like anthropologists like read like the documents. So they were trying to prescribe the language used. So how the animals were actually looked and the animal experts were trying to use that language with bone structure of how like other mm. related animals would look. So it was like a team effort of translating old text of old languages. So, and while there has been controversy of it, preserving specimens, ha- um, that the preserving these specimens was inhumane. There's been good for animals. Like there has been good, f- like for living animals that's come from the hobby. So William, um, I think Hornaday, the chief taxidermist at the Smithsonian in the 1880s, was worried about the endangerment of the American bison. So he brought a bison specimen to DC and advocated for them to uh, to have a protected bison range, which worked. So he helped it. It was already kind of a talked about thing. So they put a federally protected bison range in the Yellowstone, which helped save the species. And the use of styrofoam, metal rods, and wire frames started to replace using skeletons. Styrofoam could be cut and shaped so that it looked more natural once the skin was placed around the frame. Metal rods could be inserted into styrofoam to provide bone-like support for legs, heads, and tails. Wires was also used for more delicate appendages. In the 1980s, museums began to use flesh-eating beetles that left the bones clean while preserving their structures, even the more delicate bones. Today, they are actually still used, and they're sometimes used in like a forensic setting, but caring for a colony of those beetles can be kind of tricky because it's just like a colony of, of bugs. I don't know. I've never managed a colony of bugs before. I don't think I'd be good at it. Um, but the benefits of modern taxidermy include preserving species that have become extinct, creating modern art that features the use of 3D objects and animals, deterring the cause of death of animals in unusual circumstances, helping to advance various scientific methods to identify viruses in animals, and developing vaccines for viruses in animals that can be transferred to humans. And one of the final notes here is that how, is the question of like how did modern taxonomy become like cool again? And it depends on who you ask the definition of cool. <laughs> but in an article from Semic in 2016, Damien Hurst's art in the ninth in the 90s of a lamb in a tank of formaldehyde solution and Alexander McQueen's spring summer 2001 collection uh, featured stuffed eagle suspended over models heads and those two things sort of in tandem kind of introduced taxidermy to high fashion and the London based taxidermist Polly Morgan was the most popular taxidermist during the new wave selling his art from 8,000 to 30,000 euros, helping to revive the art form. So you guys just got a quick history. We'll be back after a ad break. And the song you're going to hear is Frankenstein by Rina Sawayama. When you come back, you'll be hearing some fun facts and just other things about taxidermy. Can't wait to hear from you soon. 
Hope you enjoy the song. And we're back. I know you guys missed us. So here are some quick fun facts about taxidermy while we have your attention. Um, people who saw the first taxiderm- uh, taxidermy specimen platypus thought it was a hoax and that Captain John Hunter from England in 1798 had sewn a duck bill on the body of a beaver, which I do not blame them because yeah. they are very odd-looking creatures. <laughs> yeah. What animal, like, if you saw it, like, if someone told you this existed and you didn't have proof at the time, like, it was the first sighting, would you not believe existed? For me, it'd be, like, a toucan. They kind of look odd as for a bird. I mean, we were talking about jellyfish uh, during the break. Yeah. Oh, somebody oh. described to me a jellyfish, and I had never, ever, ever, like, seen one or believed that they existed in the natural uh, world. Yeah, some of those weird-looking monkeys, too. Like, those ones with those what? the funny noses. I'm not going to say what they look like, but, you know, the really weird-looking noses. That one monkey. No idea okay well anyways um another fun fact is taxidermy competitions include recreations something to make contestants recreate animals with different animal parts so uh like replicating an eagle with turkey feathers or recreating a panda bear but with grizzly bear skin or recreating an extinct species with only scientific data and like the materials in front of them so, like, you know what I thought about? I was, like, imagining RuPaul's Drag Race, but it's a bunch of taxidermy people trying to make art. Like, you know, like, how RuPaul's thing is, like, structured? I was, like, imagine, like... A taxidermy dress or something like that. Or something that. weird, yeah. Mm, I'm surprised that hasn't been done before, but also that would be... Weird. It'd, it'd give Ed... Structurally it'd, unsound. It'd give Ed Gein a bit. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's also the taxidermy industry, which sure a lot of you guys do not know about so an article by animal artistry which is like a tax there are a taxidermy studio they're giving advice for people who want to get into the industry so um the industry standard for a taxidermy project can range from anywhere of eight months to as long as three years so um and i i think this means like i don't know if it has to do with pets because sometimes like if you're paying for it it's most of the time when they're acquiring specimens for themselves it takes longer so this is just from their experience. So, um, most taxidermy studios are very small operations with around one to five people. Many of them are not business savvy, and it leads to issues of shipment or acquiring specimens because they're such a small studio. It's like a lot of people who go into it, they go into it because they like animals and not because it's like a big, they're trying to make a bunch of money. So, the struggle with it is when you go in, when anyone starts a small business, and I think anyone who owns Etsy or uh, can probably relate to this, is like you're learning this as you go on. Our poor little red bubble shop. Anyway, uh, animals arrived at the taxidermist to be skinned. Um, at many studios, there is a wait time of several weeks or months till they are, there are enough skins that can be sent to the tannery. Um, then that takes like six months or longer to return back from the tannery to the studio. And once they come back, they are shelved until the previous projects are completed. Limited staff and financial resources. They need to finish one project before they can afford to buy things for the mount, for the next mount, such as the mannequin eyes, etc., um, so the finished skin can be lying around waiting months or even years before it actually the process starts. Um, but it's actually not the taxidermy itself it takes that long. It's literally the tannery and getting the thing there. Right. So like once it starts, it, it goes along pretty quickly. Um, which has, it's been mostly male dominated. There's been a new wave of taxidermists. Many of them are young, female, and ethically minded who have joined the industry. Um, so, like, a lot of their mantras, they never kill an animal for the sake of taxidermy, and many are attracted to tax- taxidermy to create something for their Etsy shop, which it's, it has become very popular on yeah. Etsy. I remember growing up, 
it was like semi-popular where I was. They had like a little expo every year and there were always vendors with the texture-made insects. Yeah, yeah. And they would always have that little like disclaimer of like, like I went out and found these specimens on my own. I didn't kill them. Yeah. Which seems so difficult. Yeah. Going on a hike specifically looking for like dead butterflies and stuff. I don't know. Do you know Game Grumps? The one's girl, so the one has a girlfriend named um, Susie, but she goes by Mortimer. And I just remember because I used to follow her, and she had an Etsy shop where she sold memento or mori um, jewelry. So it's like morning jewelry, but she also mm. did like butterfly taxidermy. So like this weird combo of like she'd have like skeleton necklaces and like the the stuff. So did you be she releasing one or the other? And that was like my first time seeing that on like as a selling point before, and I was like, oh, this is a thing. Yeah, uh, like I mentioned that like. T- Shop in my hometown kind of has an odd arrangement of items, mm. too. Um, but one of the people who is doing the more, like, ethical taxidermy includes the likes of Jasmine Miles Along. Uh, she's described herself as an ethical taxidermist, which means she only uses specimens that were killed from natural causes or from road accidents. Uh, she's also vegetarian, and she aims to steer the thought of associating um, taxidermy away from hunting and collecting and, like, having trophies, and instead bring it back to the lens as part of a cultural thing to do. Yeah, and also, like, helpful for science, like, as we mentioned earlier, like, finding viruses and yeah. stuff. At the London Taxidermy Academy, they state that 50% of their students are either vegan or vegetarian, and 90% of them are female and if you are interested in taxidermy there is like a how-to manual written uh by divya anatharaman and katie inamorado called stuffed animals a modern guide to taxidermy if you are so inclined yeah this is not an ad this is not an ad. i just saw it and i was like oh well since i'm mentioning it maybe one of you guys are interested so God. little pl- little nice, yeah if there's anywhere in chicago I was like texting your classes. Mm, what, are you interested? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the, I don't have like the hand skill for that, like that all the sewing and stuff. Am I good with like scientific objects? Mm. I would definitely mess it up. There's the Oddities and Curiosities Expo. I'd go to that, but I wouldn't want to touch anything. I just want to look. <laughs> Is that in Chicago though? Question mark, question mark. And, and we're going off topic here. Yeah, we're going to be probably finishing a bit early since this is... Oh, it's a traveling thing. Oh, well, when they come to Chicago, maybe we'll review it for you guys. <laughs> yeah, so this was kind of a quick episode, but we still hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, thank you all for tuning in. Next week, we will be talking about our visit to Rose Hill Cemetery. For now, please visit our Instagram and Tumblr at Defropology, D-E-A-T-H-R-O-P-O-L-O-G-Y. Our email is the same at defropology at gmail.com. We hope to see you guys soon.